Hello everyone, welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Collapse Talk. This is your host Gabriel Marrero and let's dive right into it. So this is episode 16 and depending on where you're at, you know, things have been developing or just continuing as usual. You know, it's all just dependent on your location. But, you know, this has been an interesting couple of weeks since the last episode, so we will recap on what has occurred globally, our first segment's international, uh, then domestically, and then uh, natural events. So we'll just move on from there. So normally I would open up and kind of recap on the global pandemic that's happening with coronavirus. Right now I kind of want to focus on something else. It's still pandemic related, but not with COVID-19, given how it's mainly the United States and some other you know, Brazil and Russia that are experiencing the worst of it. Of course, there's other locations. So really, we'll we'll talk more about this other emerging, well, not necessarily a pandemic right now, but has the potential for it. So in China, it's been reported a potential for a swine flu pandemic or a new strain of swine flu. So it's been researched or, you know, documented within pork farms, pig farms in China, and they've done research and they've done swabs. And so they found that this uh, new strain called G4 has emerged out of it, which is, um, it's interesting because this G4 strain isn't the H1N1 strain, but it just has like some genetic markers from it. So what they've said, and I'm reading from Medical News Today, that these pigs, they've, they have they can contract avian flus as well as swine flus. So they can, they're kind of like a, a petri dish for all these diseases. So it's they, they describe it as a mixing vessel, actually. So they've observed that this G4 incorporates different genes from distinct uh, influenza strains. So there's a strain similar to the virus present in European and Asian birds, a North American strain that has genes from avian, human, and bird influenza viruses, and also uh, markers from the H1N1 strain that caused the 2009 swine flu pandemic. So right now, what they've observed is that the virus can go from the pig to a human, but it can't go from human to human. And I believe it also can go from pig to pig, of course. So right now, it doesn't seem as though they've had like deaths or anything like that but you know this can still mutate from that they've also observed uh let's see reading from this report that it has been detected out of 338 workers who underwent testing for g4 35 10.4 percent received positive results the infection rate was higher among younger workers 18 to 35 with 9 out of 44 20.5 percent testing positive so you know, these workers, are, they were exposed to it, and it's just interesting to see. Right now, I mean, this is like a small pool, so it hasn't necessarily spread from there. But it's um, it's interesting to see how it affects people. And as of right now, they're not too worried about it. They're just, they're just making these observations about it. And this is also a way to plan out for future pandemics, because a lot of these diseases and outbreaks occur from farming from factory farming or these wet markets you know or just eating different uh, animals so they've observed that 
No hygiene standards and fees, including hormones and steroids across Asia, are likely to be contributing factors to compromised immune systems and potential of viruses to spread. So that was a quote from Dr. Alice Hughes from the Center of Integrative Conservation um, in China. So these are you know Chinese officials doing the research on this so far. But right now they can't really they can't really say where this is going to go. But this is just they're detecting this early, and they could use this research to highlight how a future pandemic can form. Because I mean we're in the midst of a COVID pandemic, so now we're going to experience or well, possibly experience future pandemics. And it's also been reported uh, due to biodiversity loss and also just increasing of factory farming. Those conditions, the hygiene, the treatment of the animals, they, they increase the likelihood of future outbreaks. So it's something to keep a close eye on. And this is, I mean, I'm not worried about this right now, but it's just, you know, everybody's in this hysteria mode about viruses and pandemics. So of course, this is going to be the first uh, thing that everybody thinks about. So we'll, or I wanted to touch up on it at least right now. I mean, it doesn't seem like something to worry about, but we'll just keep an eye on it for now. So there is that, you know, we, we have that going on with, I guess, China, you know, given their conditions and the way they treat their animals and their food standards. I mean, of course, we talk about China a lot in this program because they're just the boogeyman right now. And I'm certainly worried about them. They're they're acting up. They've been acting up lately. And it definitely is a Trump related. So Trump signed an executive order concerning Hong Kong. Essentially, what they were saying is that they're applying sanctions against individuals who work with government officials that either directly or indirectly affect the oppression of Hong Kong. So they can seize those assets, they can freeze accounts, which is a major escalation, really. So, and not that I'm opposed to it, I think that's a, it's probably one of his better moves. He's sending a very clear message to, to them. However, they're not happy about it, the Chinese, and so they're, I guess they've talked about retaliating. Very, they very well may have retaliated. So over the week, last week, maybe the weekend, there was a cyber attack against Twitter. And so in that instance, Twitter was a lot of these uh, blue check verified accounts from the pre President Obama, his, his account, his Joe Biden's account, uh, plenty of celebrities, Elon Musk, that those accounts were hacked, they were hijacked, and so they were putting out these uh, uh, tweets essentially about, you know, donating Bitcoin. It was one big scheme, but it was alarming because it w what happened is that the website was essentially hijacked, and so the, the actual Twitter administrators, those mods, they couldn't, they didn't have access to it. They couldn't fix it. So they had to completely shut down Twitter and especially those blue mark, those blue check marks. So, you know, it, it really shows just how dependent we are on this app now, or this, I shouldn't say app, this, uh, this tool is what it is now for communication and just goes to show how like one cyber attack can cause huge ramifications. And there was, they, they certainly like could have done worse, more damage. So this was, I think this is probably just their like test attack. So this isn't the real thing right now, but right now 
we're just gonna have to see so I wanted to circle back with the executive order that Trump signed and what exactly this means so I'm reading this from NBC News so President Donald Trump said Tuesday he signed into law a bipartisan bill that sanctions Chinese officials who undermine the rights to free speech and assembly in Hong Kong the latest ex escalation in an increasingly hostile relationship between Washington and Beijing quote this law gives my administration powerful new tools to hold responsible individuals and the entities involved in extinguishing Hong Kong's freedom, Trump said at a press conference in the Rose Garden Tuesday evening. So, the people have been calling for sanctions or some kind of action against China for their for their escalations of in, in Hong Kong, and well, this is it. This is at least the start of it, uh, and I don't. I certainly don't think this is going to be the end because China does not. I mean, with the issue of Hong Kong, like they're really like getting testy about it. They're they're really like, as I said, you know, they they can't afford to take one step back because their whole system is weak to begin with. So if they lose on this area, then the chips start falling, essentially. So like imagine one of those uh, those domino towers. So one chip falls, one domino falls, and then the whole thing just collapses. So that's basically what China is right now. We we're we're really afraid of them, and not to say that they haven't infiltrated our economy, our system. I mean, they've. I think Mike Pompeo has said that they've infiltrated every level of our society essentially. So, you know, they definitely could cause a lot of damage to us. However, I don't think that they. Well, I mean, not that I know anything. It's just it. They're, they're going to hurt a lot, and of course we're going to hurt a lot. It just depends on who's going to hurt more, right? And I think China, given their oppressive system, is going to hurt more, far more than we will. Of course, we're going to experience, of course, uh, just possible economic collapse. So it just it really, again, I don't know what's going to happen, but I certainly look at China and see a paper tiger. Of course, it would, you know, paper cut still hurts. So it's going to be, you know, it really depends on what happens. So, again, Trump signed this executive order. And so they can essentially seize assets, freeze accounts. And this is going to be interesting to see who, who ends up being uh, mixed up with this in, in our country, in our government, with our businesses. But, you know, it will be, it'll be interesting to see who gets, you know, uh, serve you know indicted essentially but that's what just happened that's what just happening and you know hong kong of course they're you know they're going through a tough time and it's uh you know they can't even like put any signs out that's how severe the situation is so it's uh i'm hoping the best for them but it's really telling about it's really telling what's gonna go down so circling back with this twitter hack uh, it was what they're describing it is that it was a, a, a sim swapping kind of deal. So, you know, what they would do, um, I'm quoting this from Forbes. So using sim swapping in which threat actors trick, coerce or bribe employees of their victims to gain access to privileged account credentials and administrative tools. Hackers were able to first to change the email address of each targeted account. 
Next, two-factor authentication was turned off, so when an alert was sent of the account change, it went to the hacker's email address. With the targeted accounts under their control, hackers began promoting their cryptocurrency scam. So basically, yeah, what they did was they just, they somehow gained access into the account and changed the settings so that they had complete control of it. So this, of course, was just a new development and also just, I, I, I certainly believe this was like a test just to see how far they could go with this. But they had, they hacked the personal accounts of Jeff Bezos, Joe Biden, Elon Musk, Obama, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. So they, they went for like the top tier of our society, you know, economic power, political power, and they did it all at once. So it was really more just like hit, hit everything at once and just see what we can get. And so they stole up to uh, 120,000 from victims and they certainly could have done worse and they certainly could have uh, said, sent out some tweet that could have easily created a market sell-off or some kind of activity in the stock markets and set in motion possibly a dollar collapse or you know they could have easily done that so it really just shows how like you know it's one of those moments where i'm kind of glad i'm not you know out of all the the twitter or i'm sorry out of all the social media websites apps i use twitter the least so it's really interesting to see that that happened there so that occurred and of course, Twitter was basically shut down, or at least those blue check marks, they couldn't post or say anything. And so now, Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, is going to have to answer for this. And this is really going to, people are going to lose trust in the ability for this website to secure and protect their information, their data, which of course, they hadn't really been doing to begin with. So, you know, the fact that this could occur is really telling and you know it hasn't been officially confirmed but i do believe this was some kind of retaliation from china it very well may have been some kind of retaliation and this is only gonna or in speaking of chinese retaliation this is only going to continue uh, they're really going to try to test our cybersecurity, and they could do a lot of damage with that they could shut down grids they could cause accidents in factories the list goes on. So they could really, out of all the things that China excels at, cybersecurity is certainly one of them, and they could certainly use that against us and do a lot of damage. So we'll just have to see what happens. But it was just really interesting because, you know, it's one of those moments where, like, you don't really know about it until, like, much later because, I, I mean, again, I don't use Twitter as often. So... When I finally did hear about it, it was like several days after it occurred. So it was like a complete like went over my head. And I don't even think like regular people have noticed this. That's the other thing too, because I haven't heard anything from, you know, even like my sisters or some friends of mine who use Twitter more. Nothing. So like it's one of those moments where like a major attack occurred, but because it wasn't, I, again, this was a test more likely. So it wasn't as severe. But because they didn't have such a huge effect yet, nobody really noticed it. So it's just interesting. Again, like, if I didn't look this up, if I didn't listen, you know, to certain people about this, I would, this would have completely, like, 
flew over my head. So there's that. So continuing with China, you know, this this uh, regime, this totalitarian regime, it's been leaked. You know, because we, we talked about Xinjiang and also the, 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 the Uyghur uh, genocide is what it is now. Uh, forced sterilizations, uh, organ harvesting, you know, these camps, these concentration camps, so-called re-education camps. So this is uh, very obviously reminiscent of the Holocaust and the extermination or the attempted extermination of undesirables. So it was leaked, this drone footage from, and I, and I believe it was like the actual, uh, the, the way the footage was presented, like somebody was recording the screen. And it was the actual agent or whoever, whomever was working with that equipment. You know, they were recording the transfer of prisoners. And, you know, they were Uyghur prisoners in their, you know, tracksuits and their shaved heads. And they're lined up and they're being ex escorted into cattle cars, essentially. So, I mean, this is the same stuff that we've seen and it's happening right now. Uh, under the Chinese communist government and of course now this is it hasn't like blown up because again you know it you think it's blown up but then you look at the mainstream media and they're talking about Trump this or Trump that like this is really important because this is ethnic cleansing that we're seeing right now uh, this is an attempt by the Chinese government to remove Islam from the country they're you know, I'm an atheist, but, like, I don't believe in, like, forcing people to deconvert, you know? Like, I feel like that just happens the more educated you are. But in China, their solution is to completely erase people's cultures and history. You know, I've heard reports or read reports of them just completely bulldozing grave sites. And then, you know, just like the Native Americans here, they just completely remove this grave site so there's no memory of the past. And then, of course, they're forcing sterilizations. So, you know, their birth rates are all almost all but slashed. And then there have been other reports where they have, like, there was a there was a report from Vice by Isabel Young. I like her a lot. She's, she does pretty good reporting. So she went to Xinjiang uh, posing as, like, some social media vlogger. But, like, she was secretly recording everything that was going down it was so dystopian like high, like super highly high surveillance and just police presence like on every street corner you know checking your documents questioning you for for the smallest thing and they what they were showing was that there were these schools that were in the past used as regular schools but now are being used for uh, re-education so like they're basically like these schools that are gated off so nobody can go in and you can you might see some kids playing around but they're not allowed to leave so it's like a, a school prison so these of course this is happening right now in china and on bbc there was a interview between uh the uk or i'm sorry the, the chinese ambassador to the uk and so this ambassador, of course, you know, played the fool and wow, like he, he didn't know what that footage was or 
saying that it was fake or just saying like this is just a regular transfer of prisoners. So, you know, playing, you know, the denial card and yeah, it's, they're not going to, of course, acknowledge this, but it's, it's troubling and it's so obvious, like you can't hide anything anymore. So like, we, we know this is happening and they're of course going to deny it, but you see this happening here and you, like, you need to understand that this is a dress rehearsal for what China has in store for the whole planet. If they somehow manage to conquer the world, not even conquer it, it's just like the, the, the game that they're playing is more economic. So if everybody is in debt to China, that's another way to rule the world, right? And of course, there are countries that have extradition deals with China because of this. The UK has suspended extradition uh, with Hong Kong. They're, you know, they're suspending most of the treaties with China that they had concerning Hong Kong. So, yeah, this uh, sort of thing does occur. That is what's happening there. Of course, the UK is, the UK is, I think, is doing more than the United States. I mean, of course, the United States is calling out about Hong Kong, but you don't really hear much about this, the Uyghurs. Um, and I think it may have to do because they're Muslim, so that, that might be it. Of course, I think I've, I've, Donald Trump has made a comment about it, but not to, to the level that the UK is taking it. And I think that there's a, they, they should do more, of course. So, of course, quoting from the BBC, so shown drone footage that appears to show Uyghurs being blindfolded and led to trains and which has been authenticated by Australian security services, he, the ambassador, he did not know what the video was showing, and sometimes you have to transfer of prisoners in any country. Uh, quote, there's no such thing, there's no such concentration camps in Xinjiang, he added. There's a lot of fake accusations against China. And this is, uh, this is coming from Lu Xiaoming, who is the UK ambassador or the Chinese ambassador to the UK. So that of course is happening there. And it's troubling, you know, this is just what they have planned. And this is their attempt to grow the Han Chinese ethnic populations because they want to create a ethnically homogenous country, I guess. I don't know. I really don't know. So that is, of course, happening there, and we'll have to learn more about it. But as it stands, we're not really doing anything about it. So we're just going to have to do what we can and continue with sanctions. You know, that's really the only way that they're going to feel it is if we start doing some uh, economic retaliation against this. So stepping away from China and stepping into an area which... I've never really touched up on. So it is concerning the Caucasus region. So, or is it Caucasus? Hmm. Well, this region is, I don't, I don't know too heavily about it. It's one of those areas that I would like to learn more. Georgia and Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, I do know, however, that they have been, it's been, it's one of those areas that are like, it's a conflict zone. So there's on and off fighting. 
But for the last couple of years, there's been some quietness. Of course, there's still a conflict. There's still a war in that area. Um, and I'm, and I'm specifically talking about Azerbaijan and Armenia and how they've experienced some fighting or they've had a clash, a pretty intense clash. So since July 12th, more than a dozen people have been killed in the worst fighting between the two former Soviet republics. I'm reading this from political.com. So it basically what it is is that there is a breakaway region in Armenia that is trying to just go back into Azerbaijan and so they've just been fighting over it. This is like an ethnic this is an ethnic conflict this is really what it is. And this is also it's not only between these two nations, but typically what happens this is like a proxy war, right? So what happens is that these two nations they typically have their own supporters. So Armenia is being supported by Russia and Azerbaijan is being supported by Turkey. So those two countries, Azerbaijan and Armenia, are fighting each other directly, but it's also a proxy war between Russia and Turkey, who have historically been at each other's throats. And this escalation and violence between those two proxy states is certainly escalating tensions between Turkey and Russia. So, uh, quote, Since the outbreak of violence in the Caucasus in mid-July, Turkey has rallied to the defense of its Muslim ally Azerbaijan, with whom it shares linguistic and ethnic ties, offering to provide fresh arms to Baku. Erdogan has vowed to stand against any attack on Azerbaijan, which supplies Turkey with cheap natural gas. Moscow, meanwhile, last week ordered large-scale military exercises in southwestern Russia, which the, which the defense ministry denied was due to the flare-up between Armenia and Azerbaijan and called for a ceasefire and said it is ready to act as a mediator between the two sides. The Caucasus neighbors went to war in the 1990s over Azerbaijan's breakaway region of Nagorno-Karabakh and in recent years have waged an arms race as Russia sells billions of dollars worth of weaponry to both sides. One of the world's longest-running conflicts the dispute has bedeviled years of international mediation, and since 2008, sporadic skirmishes and shellings have killed hundreds of people. So, yeah, I mean, there it's a it's a war. I mean, they're you know shelling each other for the most part. Probably some skir yeah skirmishes, maybe some bombings. So, this of course has just been going on for years now. So it's really just a matter of who can settle differences diplomatically, but at this rate, it doesn't seem like that can happen. And also, I, 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 was, I, I was corrected, so the region, Nagorno-Karabakh, is in Azerbaijan, and yeah, they're just fighting over it. It's one, it one of those conflicts where it's just like, why are we fighting again? Well, I don't know, but I mean, he, he killed my dad, so I have to avenge him. So, yeah. It's one of those, it's, it's a blood feud, essentially. Um, but what I wanted to bring up is just this, this region or just the, just the fact that there are still areas of the planet that are just fighting. They're just fighting. So there's peace here, 
But there really hasn't been peace on earth. They're still fighting no matter where you are. People are going to settle their differences through violence. Kill each other if they feel they have to. And again, this is mainly over resources. So uh, as was stated, Erdogan in Turkey, they're willing to defend Azerbaijan because of the natural gas exports there. And probably something or with a... Armenia and Russia and Azerbaijan it has to do with weapons. So, again, this is all money and resources and such. That's basically what war is, right? It's a business. So that's why I wanted to bring up that. Probably nothing for now. But it's just, it, it just shows how, you know, something else pops up. And it just, like, throws a monkey wrench into world affairs, right? So, that that's those two uh, countries and that conflict there. And I wanted to touch up on a economic and more economic issue that I feel more people should pay attention to, which is the, uh, the economic crisis in Lebanon. And Lebanon right now is experiencing a crisis uh, almost in the same level as like Venezuela. I mean, this is like, it's bad. So, Essentially, the the crisis in Lebanon has to deal with uh, debt, right? Debt gross. Well, let's actually just read it, right? So, uh, even before the coronavirus pandemic at the start of the year, Lebanon seemed to be headed for a crash. Its public debt to gross domestic product, what a country owes compared to what it produces, was the third highest in the world. Unemployment stood at 25%. And nearly a third of the population was living below the poverty line. Last year also saw the unraveling of what analysts said was effectively a state-sponsored pyramid or Ponzi scheme run by the central bank, which was borrowing from commercial banks at above market interest rates to, to pay back its debts and maintain the Lebanese pound's fixed exchange rate with the U.S. dollar. At the same time, people were getting increasingly angry and frustrated about the government's failure to provide even basic services they were having to deal with daily power cuts, a lack of safe drinking water, limited public health care, and some of the world's worst internet connection. So, the, yeah, so they were already struggling before, and this pandemic just threw everything out the window. And, yeah, so what they, they describe is essentially the central bank, uh, you know, borrowing money. And just fucking with the exchange rate. So, again, these are one of those moments where, like, it, it's it's really... it. What it shows is that this is just a dress rehearsal for what's going to happen here. The same economic, monetary issues, inflation, uh, the collapse of some basic services. And, yeah. And so, what really set this in motion, because this was also part of... Uh, last year we experienced, you know, a wave of protest, and so what really set this off was a proposed tax against uh, tobacco, petrol, and WhatsApp. So WhatsApp is a, an app that's used to communicate. We don't. It's not as big here in the United States, but you know, around the world, it's a huge service and connects people. I mean, I can. You know, basically text uh, some of my cousins in 
Dominican Republic. So it's certainly helpful in that respect. So a lot of these people in Lebanon use WhatsApp to text and call people, and they were proposing a tax on that. And that, of course, you know, people are already struggling to pay for food and rent and all these other services, and then they're getting taxed more and more. That's just going to lead people to get out into the street. And so these demonstrations led to the resignation of the Prime Minister, Saad Hariri, right? And it was really just a, a matter of time. This is before the pandemic. So they were experiencing the economic problems before the pandemic, and then everything just got worse. So that's where they're at right now. And, you know, this is, you know, I have to do more research on this, of course, because I'm not doing the best job explaining this. But it does show how, you know, everybody's feeling the pinch right now. There's there's economic constraints occurring around the world. And so when you look at places like Lebanon, which, I mean, they, they had wars and conflicts and it has been historically pretty violent but then over the last couple years at least in the last decade things were pretty normal and like this is like one of the, probably one of the, the safer areas to be in in the middle east of course there are still uh, fundamentalism and such they're, they're still experiencing the same problems uh but they were pretty uh western i should say you know it's a pretty uh, secular nation right like, I know plenty of Lebanese people who, I mean, they're I mean, they're their own individuals, right? But when I look at Lebanon culturally, it's certainly more modern. I wouldn't say modern. I, I don't know how, how to phrase it correctly. I, 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 don't, I certainly don't get the same fundamentalist vibes, is what I mean to say. You know, of course, they might be pious and religious, but not to the extreme length, right? So, yeah, that's that's Lebanon and... That is what's happening there, and it's something to keep a close eye on. Uh, currency, financial crisis that's occurring, inflation and, and such. Yeah. So there's that. So speaking on the Middle East, and also touching up on more sensitive issue you know, that I spoke about with uh, uh, that I spoke about with Jerusalem and Israel, and their planned annexation for the West Bank how that was how they were attempting to move forward with that uh, right now of course they haven't made as much progress as they like mainly because they want to get the approval from the White House so Israel is just like looking at the US like this is okay right and the US for the most part wouldn't care but right now we're so like uh, we're so caught up with our own mess with the coronavirus and you know social unrest political unrest economic unrest just we, we have all these problems here domestically that we can't really touch up on this right now we're, we're just gonna have to put that on the back burner so it's really gonna test just how um, Netanyahu can respond to this because he had you know he's been pushing this annexation for some time now, you know, even uh, with you know the resistance of places like Jordan, and Germany, the UK, and France, like all these other places around the world, saying, uh, "Don't do this." They're, he's still trying. Netanyahu is still trying to push forward with it. Of course, now because they're not having as much support from the U.S., it isn't going as planned as before. So, because 
of those delays, those settlers in that territory, because it's not officially uh, it's not officially Israel, those settlers are starting to lose their patience, and you know they they want him Netanyahu to act. They want him to just do it, right? So I'm reading this from the Washington Post, and this is a quote from a settler named named David Elhayani, right? So he says, "quote I'm pessimistic," said David, a farmer and head of the Yesha Council, an umbrella group of Jewish settlements in the West Bank. There is a corona, there is the election in the United States, but a real leader, when he sees his a historic opportunity, he takes it. I demand of my prime minister that he be a real leader. So, not not that I know anything from this man, I can assume that, given that he is a settler, and most of these settlers are fundamentalists, Jewish fundamentalists, he is more... He basically wants Netanyahu to be a strong man, just to assert dominance, you know, be an alpha, right? And, you know, these settlers who are illegally settling. So, I mean, what they're doing is illegal under international law, but Israel isn't going to stop them. So, they feel that they have this right to take this land, even though they're not necessarily under legal, in the legal right. Um... Yeah. So, continuing, quote, under an agreement between political leaders in the parliament, or can, or just their parliament, I can't pronounce what that, that is. So, uh, July 1st would be, had been set as the earliest an annexation plan could be presented for government approval. That date has come and gone without a decision from Netanyahu, and the issue has largely been pushed from Israeli headlines by a burgeoning second wave of coronavirus infections. So, uh, the coronavirus infection, the outbreak is continuing to spread in Israel, so they're facing their own problems there. And I would assume also economic troubles there that that result from that. So, that is happening there in Israel. And they wanted to move forward with this, but they're just... Their plans are, aren't going accordingly. But they're still waiting to hear from the United States. And they're certainly keeping an eye on the election. I I would assume that Trump doesn't really care. So, I mean, they're certainly going to get that approval from Trump. I do believe that under Biden, probably the same thing would just unfold. Because Biden, from what I understand... I haven't really heard him say anything about Israel. He certainly hasn't said anything, you know, about the tr- their treatment of the Palestinians. So my only assumption is that he's just not going to do anything to stop them. Just, yeah, just keep taking our, our money and do it, do what you want, right? So that is happening there. And, you know, Israel, I've stated before, you know, this isn't, Anytime you you talk about this subject, people get really, you know, fragile about it. They're, you know, they're, they're, they, you don't want to take it to the point where you're criticizing Judaism, which I haven't been doing. It's purely been either fundamentalism or just these political, these policies that Israel is enacting. And as I said, or if I haven't said it before, I'll make it clear now. 
you know, a government that bases itself off of any ideology, or I should say, any religious theocratic ideology, in my mind is wrong. So if, you know, they're making these decisions because they want to become a theocratic regime, well then, we have a problem. Because most states, or all states, should be secular. But hey, I don't want to talk about that enough. Most people understand my position there. So we'll just keep moving forward. So we were talking about the UK, or I was talking earlier about the UK concerning China, right? So I wanted to circle back with the UK and talk about some economic problems that they're experiencing as well. So the UK is officially gone from the EU, and that happened around a little bit before the coronavirus outbreak. But still, this um, you know, they're they're gone from the EU, which means a lot of companies are going to leave, and EU compared to other places in in Europe are, is experiencing economic troubles as well. So the Bank of England has stated that. In this quarter, they experienced a economic shrink of 20%. So the largest monthly contraction in April, I mean. So in April, they experienced this. And that's like the largest contraction they've ever experienced. Wow. Holy shit. I'm looking at this chart about their monthly GDP growth. And it's going from 1997. So it's kind of... Uh, you have to see it. It's on BBC, so it's you know kind of normal, right? Normal levels, and then you're, you can see like there's a red area with the Great Recession, 2008, and then it's pretty normal, normal, and then it just dropped. It just it, it's almost comical. I wish I had like a screen just to show you guys, but it, it just it just drops, and that's their economy. It, it shrank by 20%, which is crazy. So. Uh, reading from BBC, quote, the, the contraction is three times greater than the decline seen during the whole of the 2008 to 2009 economic downturn. But analysts said April was likely to be the worst month as the government began easing the lockdown in May. So, you know, they experienced a contraction and possibly it can bounce back up. We'll have to see. And this is, a, you know, quoting from the bank of England, the governor, he has said, quote, signs of the economy now beginning to come back into life, but the big question, end quote, but the big question was how much more, how much long-term damage the pandemic would cause. Quote, that's the thing we've got to be very focused on because that's where jobs get lost, he said. Now we hope that will be as small as possible, but we have to be ready and ready to take action, not just the Bank of England, but more broadly on what we can do to offset those longer term and damaging effects. So, yeah. So, it's mainly to do with the coronavirus pandemic, possibly also to do with them leaving the European Union. So, I mean, the, he very well might just be saying that just to cover up how bad it really is, because, I mean, I don't see things getting better for the UK either. So, it's really just a matter of time and seeing how things will unfold. So, quoting from Boris Johnson, 
Prime Minister Boris Johnson warned of a tough few months ahead, but added, we will get through it. We've always been in no doubt this was going to be a very serious public health crisis, but also have big, big economic knock-on effects. The UK is heavily dependent on services. We're a dynamic, creative economy. We depend so much on human contact. We have been very badly hit by this. So, right, there's a service-based economy, just like we are in many respects. So, when people stop buying, stop using services, their economy experiences a freeze. So, so that happens there. Oh, I will say, you know, they probably nationalize. Well, I shouldn't say probably. I don't know exactly how far they've gone with it, economic-wise. So that is what's happening there. Yeah. So what they've also shown is, you know, they've had furloughs. So almost nine million workers now covered by UK furloughs. I mean, just unprecedented amounts. Unprecedented, really, for the UK. And. It really just shows how 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 fragile everything is right now. So that's just their economy and what they're going through. So you know we've discussed that and what that means coming up for the world, economically wise, pandemic wise. So you know we're talking international, and I wanted to step away now and go into the more domestic field, and. You know, to start off with the United States, we're, you know, in the midst of our pandemic and it's been accelerating, of course. And to see currently where the stats are, let me pull up my numbers. So it's interesting, actually. So what's been signed now is there's a, the COVID stats no longer are going to the CDC. Instead, now they're going to the White House directly. So they're in control of the numbers there. And the it's a worrying sign because like if they control the numbers and they can pretty much post whatever they want. I mean, the numbers to begin with already, I don't trust them. So the United States stands at 3 million or 3.9 million. So, you know, very easily we could get into the 4, 4 million range by tomorrow. I mean, I'm seeing right now like 52,000 confirmed cases. So, I mean, it's just going to keep accelerating. I have no doubt soon enough we're going to see 100,000 cases, possibly. So, there's that. Of course, the, the recovered rate is at 1.1 million, and the number of deaths are at 144,000. So that's, you know, still a lot of dead people. I mean, considering the, the total number of infected compared to deaths, of course, I would say those death numbers are undercounted. Or overgunned. At this rate, I don't know what to believe anymore. So that is happening there. And of course, now the hot spots are going to be Texas, Arizona, and Florida, mainly the South, because they have they've just held back on mask mandates and locking down. So you know now we're experiencing the worst of it, as everybody has been saying. What was going to happen? I mean, I'm not surprised by any of this. At this point, like, I just see the charts and the, the reports and I just laugh because there's nothing else we can do. You just got to laugh at it, right? So that is happening there. And, 
of course, I've, I've known a couple of people now who have been infected. Thankfully, I haven't, I don't know, haven't lost anybody to this disease. It's interesting because I was in contact with some of these folks and now I've been like sitting in paranoia. Of course, I never developed any symptoms, but it's just that paranoia with the talk about asymptomatic transfer and, and, and the like. And, you know, here here's the thing, because a disease like this, where everybody's so scared about asymptomatic transfer, how is it that why is it so difficult for me to get a test, right? So I was looking to get a test done and I have been calling up different clinics and different places. So either you have to set up an appointment, a preliminary appointment to get like a call with somebody so that they can confirm or say, hey, well, you were, I don't know how to explain it. It's all these like hurdles and loops and it's just like, just give me the test. Okay, I already told you I was in contact with somebody who was sick. Not as they were sick, but just later on. So, you're just going to wait for me to develop symptoms where you can just test me now? I don't... That's the thing. And part of it is because I live in Texas, so this idea for Medicare for All isn't as strong. Or maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean... On this specifically, you would think that there's just more open testing. And like they had a clinic in my area and they only had it open for a couple of weeks, which has its benefits. The fact that it's a small town, so infections aren't as high, but I would still like to have access to it. Not have to, you know, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. My, my whole point is just that it should just be open and free. And if somebody feels that they have to get a test, they should just get it, right? Because nobody's going to, you know, I, I don't want to get my nose swabbed every week. I don't know. Again, so, you know, of course, the United States is going to have a bad time with this. And we're just getting warmed up because the when it starts to get cold, that flu season gets around, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. This is going to be, I mean, this... Obviously, has been the worst summer in my life. Maybe I'm wrong on that front. But, you know... I, okay, I shouldn't say it's been the worst summer. Because it's been pretty nice, also. It's just, you know, the, the environment and what's going on. So, I mean, everybody's feeling it. Uh, I'm certainly doing okay. I could be doing a lot better. But it's more just... Learning to survive with this, really. And learning how to keep yourself busy and keep yourself sane right so there's that happening coronavirus in the u.s and just the ripple effects that that has caused so this coronavirus very easily has set in motion the depression that we're going to experience and it mainly had to do with the fact that our system was already like on thin ice to begin with so this was just the the final straw really this outbreak, the shutdown, and also not, you know, sending any assistance. We still only had the one stimulus, coronavirus stimulus. And I'm lucky because I, you know, the university that I go with, that I go to, they've also been offering assistance and funding, you know, but that only goes so far also. So it's really just a matter of finding work, which I have been doing. It's just, you know, my area... The only jobs available are retail or restaurant work, 
That's the only real work that's available. And I fucking hate that. I fucking hate that field so much. So really, this is just a matter of me hustling and just getting by until the, the school opens up, until there's more restrictions lifted. Even then, because now what you have to do is you have to put your life on the line just to earn a paycheck. And then, you know, even then you're working at a retail, you're working at restaurants. If you work at a restaurant as a server, you're working for like $2. So your all your, your income is dependent on tips. And if restaurants aren't getting as much traffic as before, you're not getting tipped as much as before, you know? So what's been revealed now, and I'm reading this on CNBC, right now, minimum wage workers cannot afford rent in any U.S. state. They can't. Full-time minimum wage workers cannot afford a two-bedroom rental anywhere in the U.S. and cannot afford a one-bedroom rental in 95% of U.S. counties. So, like, like, it's impossible. You can't do it. It's impossible. Even if I did get a job at a restaurant, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. That's why we got so many of these people working two to three jobs, right? And then I'm also trying to go through school. And it's just like, and then on top of, because basically like more than almost like 80% of some people's income goes towards housing and rent. And then now we're also going to experience a food price increases you know there's going to be a shortage of food which means prices are going to increase it's just it's i don't know what else to say because there are these are just moments where it's just like i cannot this is out of my control this is a nash this is like a policy thing like this has to be this isn't a matter of getting enough hours this is really like you know because you would think minimum wage that would be the whole point of minimum wage is that's just the bare minimum that you need to survive, right? But nobody wants to raise that. No, no, it's the same. It's been the same for the last decade or so. And then you can't explain this to other people because they don't understand it. They're just, oh, well, we'll save your money. Okay, well, then if I save my money, that means I can't buy anything. Just the essentials, which is the reason why so many industries are collapsing because we we're not using it we're not we're not spending it right so i mean your solution to this problem is going to continue to exacerbate the collapse of our economy because if people aren't spending which is exactly what our economy is based on if people aren't spending and they're only saving more industries are going to collapse and more people are going to lose jobs and so which means that people are going to have money that they can't use so not that I know anything about econ economics, really. I, I don't know what I'm talking about for the most part, but that's just the gist that I'm seeing, right? And again, you know, minimum wage workers are primarily young people, such as myself. So if we're working our asses off in these industries that suck, they just it's terrible. It's a terrible industry to work in. And we're still we're working our asses off, and we're still can't get by. We still we're still dependent on our parents sending care packages and sending us some money. And some of us now we can't go to our parents anymore because now they're getting hit 
financially. So like, if I'm working a minimum wage job, hypothetically, if I'm working a minimum wage job that isn't, it just isn't enough to pay for rent, to keep a roof over my head, and I can't go to my parents for anything, well, that that's just going to exacerbate the problem, make things worse. So, yeah. It's just a lot of these things, it's more just like, what did you think was going to happen? You know, like, what did you expect? This was obviously what was going to go down, you know? If somebody like myself, who doesn't know what he's talking about, can see this, then it really just tells me that those who continue to defend it full of shit, really, that's really what it is. So, yeah. So, let me keep reading on this. This is a CNBC. So, yeah, there was a housing crisis before the pandemic. So, people were already feeling the pinch before this outbreak. And as I said, this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. So, quote, there was a housing affordability crisis even before the pandemic hit and tens of millions lost their jobs. Last year, the NLIHC's report also found that a two-bedroom was not affordable anywhere in the country, putting the 2019 housing wage to $22.96 for a two-bedroom rental and $18.65 for a one-bedroom. But the findings are especially relevant now. Coronavirus-related job losses hit vitality and service industries particularly hard, and renters make up disproportionate share of those workforces, according to the Urban Institute. Additionally, it is not likely that the, the U.S. will make the V-shaped recovery economists are hoping for, as states are reclosing large parts of their economy as virus cases spike across the country. So, this, it's really, um, it, it's foreboding, and it's, um, a lot more people need to be worried about this, because... July is going to be the end of the, the moratoriums and those protections. So a lot of people are like are going to face foreclosure and evictions come August. Or August and moving forward from August. And again, this is one of those things where it's like you kind of brought this on yourself. Not the people essentially, but just the whole system brought it on itself. This was going this was bound to happen. And it just took one pandemic to set everything in motion. And so we are going to experience an eviction apocalypse, a foreclosure apocalypse. Like millions of people are going to be homeless in the coming months. Right as November is around the corner. Which I really don't understand how people don't see how things are, aren't going to fall apart. <laughs> so continuing with CNBC, a... Record number, record percentage of people missed their housing payments in June. So, quote, as the United States continues to face record unemployment due to the coronavirus pandemic, 30% of Americans missed their housing payments in June, according to a service by Apartment List, an online retail platform. That's up from 24% who missed their payment just two months earlier in April, and about on par with 31% who missed payments in May. Renters, younger and lower income households, and urban dwellers were the groups most likely to miss their housing payments, apartment lists found. Yeah. At this same time that this historically high rate of Americans are missing their housing payments, eviction protections put in place 
at the beginning of the COVID-19 spread in the U.S. are beginning to expire. Additionally, the current 30 million unemployed Americans will lose the extra $600 per week, uh, $600 per week in federal unemployment benefits, benefits at the end of July. So, well, I have to like, uh, I have to rub my, I have to, I don't know, this, just reading that and what that implies it is disturbing that we have people in power who are just going to allow this to happen and they're they're pretending as though things are just going to be normal we this is really going to be the boogaloo right i mean shit might hit the fan before the election that's really what it seems like because if you have mass evictions millions of people already unemployed and then millions more getting evicted and foreclosed on a level we've never seen before. I, I, I it really makes me, it worries me. It's worrying because, like, what did you think was gonna happen? This is gonna this. I get worked up about it because it it's malicious. At this point, it's malicious, and they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what's going to happen. And we're going to have tent cities. We're going to have, you know, migrant workers. You know, it's going to be the Great Depression all over again with modern technology. And I don't know. Because, you know, you look at the Great Depression and that was bad. That was really bad. I need to read The Grapes of Wrath because one of, it's one of those books that would help you contextualize that period and what people had to do to survive. But, you know, you look back in that period, and of course, people were rugged and living harsh lives, but they were already living like that. A lot of people were already living like that. So it was a pretty, you know, not easy adjustment, but it was an adjustment that they could make because they were pretty close to that lifestyle to begin with. And they already knew what they needed to do. But we don't have that now. And I mean, there's, you know, plenty of people who have survived the Great Depression, who are alive today, and they are worried about the implication because they know that this is an entitled and selfish generation, far more entitled and selfish than the, the great generation that lived through that. I mean, I'm looking at some of these kids now and I'm just like, fuck, this is going to get bad and these kids don't give a fuck. They're, they're really going to be nasty. So, I don't know, man. It can, it's like a nightmare situation that's going to unfold. And again, the system brought it upon itself, okay? But they're going to blame the little guy. They always blame the little guy. Which really, which pisses me off to no end. Because like, the little guy is out here trying to survive. And then... Everything just gets worse for them, and then they're blamed for it. Like, how, how does that make any sense, right? But it's easier to blame the little guy than the actual person in charge, right? So that's what's happening there. So at the end of this month, those protections, the eviction foreclosure protections are going to expire. And also the uh, federal unemployment benefits are also going to expire. So... It's really we're really gonna have to see what's 
it's just gonna hit it's gonna hit it's gonna hit you know it's I don't know I really don't know but we'll just have to keep moving and see what's gonna happen again this is historic nobody's ever seen this before so when I hear people telling me you know to not think on it so heavily it's like who are you to tell me that because you've never experienced something like this nobody has and as i've been stating before time and again it's like it's just been getting worse so why wouldn't it get worse from here i mean people you know they they're so easy to say you don't know what's going to happen well neither do you and if we're going to you know use hindsight as any indicator you know it's been getting worse I don't know what to tell you. You know, I'm not the one responsible for it. Anyway, so we have that occurring, right? A housing crisis, you know, the eviction foreclosure crisis, and you know, I'm lucky because I go I go to university, and the university has been giving some assistance to the students. And of course, if you've also filed for unemployment, which I didn't, I didn't file for it. Partly because I just didn't want to deal with the bureaucracy. Like, yeah, it just wouldn't have been worth it, really. So, that's happening. And apart from that, the federal government has given $1,200, and that's it. Like, all right, do what you want. $1,200 from the beginning of this pandemic, around April, March, that time. So... Of course, people that ran out like immediately, so they were up to left to their own devices, and now they're talking about possible second stimulus, which they need to get through now. Like they need to get it through because people need money. They they need money right now more than ever. Uh, which, you know, I, I it's very easy to to say that. But I'm not going to go out here and start saying that, that that more money needs to be printed. You know, of course, I'm very mindful of I'm very mindful of inflation. And I understand what can occur. My whole point is just that if people had, so not not even that they had, not even that you give them cash. Just if their rent and utilities were just paid for, right? If you just sent uh, grants, if you sent money to land uh, landlords, like I think more people would be wouldn't be feeling such a pinch right now. So instead of just giving them money, just cover their rent utilities, and then they can save that money for other things such as food and water, right? Again, that's just that's a whole my that's my idea really of UBI. So not necessarily that people are getting paid, just that they're their bills are being covered for so that they can use their hard-earned cash to buy and stimulate the economy, right? But, you know, again, that's going to affect the profits of landlords and corporations and whatever. So, you know, this stimulus check, the second stimulus check, it's going to have more qualifications than before. And... It just it couldn't come any sooner, right? Like it just it has to. They just I don't know. They, this is one of the things where 
they're just dragging their feet on. But they're definitely going to, you know, uh, vote on issues like the war in Afghanistan or something like that. You know, preventing Trump from withdrawing troops. I don't understand why this isn't their, like, number one issue right now. Because it's almost like they don't understand, like, why people were rioting in the first place. Because people were rioting, of course, for George Floyd. But also because many of those folks were unemployed and... Uh, facing the pressure, financial pressure. That was the main reason, right? So, yeah, who knows? So, possible qualifications for this new round of stimulus checks. I'll just lift them, list them off, right? So, first, uh, individuals who made less than $99,000 according to the adjusted gross income from their 2018 or 2019 taxes, whichever was most recently filed. Uh, college students, dependents over 17, disabled relatives and taxpayers, parents, families of up to five people, SSDI recipients, and people who aren't U.S. citizens and do file tax returns, tax returns, pay taxes, and otherwise comply with federal tax law using an individual taxpayer identification number instead of a social security number. And I'm reading this from CNET. So that, I mean... That, I mean, that's just essentially the parameters for which who can receive uh, the stimulus check. Again, I don't know if anything has been passed or proposed. I don't know at this rate because they're just not acting. Our leaders have failed us because they don't, they don't, they are more concerned about these corporations, about the stock market, than the regular working people who are facing eviction and foreclosure and debt. But what 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 else can you say? Because what what else can you expect? Because that's just what's going to happen, right? So, right, we're talking about the economic consequences, the housing consequences, and as a result from that, anytime there is a economic contraction, a foreclosure and such, naturally there is an increase in crime particularly in violent crime, uh, especially in these big cities such as New York and in Chicago, especially after the George Floyd uh, unrest and uprisings, uh, violent crime has been up and you know, places like Chicago have been turned into a war zone. And, you know, in New York, which... The times that I've been there, it's been pretty easy, pretty pretty safe and easy. Not to say that everything there is safe. But now, if I were to return to New York, it's going to be a very different place. Where it's going to be like escape from New York level. Like, or warriors. That's, that's what I think. Warriors. Like, <laughs> you look at footage from New York in the 70s and 80s, and it's a different city. It's a very different city. So, you know, I wouldn't want to be caught there. If crime did go to the 70s level, like, I would not visit, not, not for anything. Nope. So, reading this from ABC News, right? In New York, NYPD Chief of Department Terrence Mohanan told Perf that in the last week, we've had 53 shooting incidences in, and 72 people shot. We have to go back to the July 4th, 2012 for a week like that. Uh, Mohanan said that 20% of these 
of those released from Rikers Island due to COVID-19 have been arrested. And the NYPD can't make any connections between the releases and the rise in, in violent crimes. But we're seeing a large uptick of parolees involved on either end of the gun as either the shooter or the victim, he added. So what's also occurred in New York, and this has been a response from Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, the mayor, they slowly started releasing inmates from prisons and jails, which California has also been doing that. And some other states have been doing that as well. So in an effort to slow the spread of COVID-19, and it's actually funny, like now they're saying, oh, well, our prison populations are the lowest they've ever been. Or, you know, some crazy, you know, trying to pat themselves on the back, but it's like, that's because you released them. So now a lot of these folks are back on the street. And, you know, either they're arrested for violent crimes or nonviolent crimes, but they're still involved in that environment. And, you know, we're seeing what we're seeing right now. People are just getting shot at record levels in New York and in Chicago. I'm speaking those about those specifically, but just, yeah. It's just, it's sad. It really is sad. Such a city like that. And what it's going through. But I also wanted to speak about like a, just a growing trend. Because it's been pointing out that violent crime has been declining. And, may, and it possibly had to do with just the economic activity from there. But now, as I'm going to predict, we're going to see increase in violent crimes. And increase in shootings and gun violence. Or just crime in general. Because people need to make money somehow. Uh, the drug trade and such it's uh yeah people people need to make money and if they can't do it through legitimate means they're going to resort to crime so there's that like i don't know it's just if you're in a city this is just a, a growing trend of leaving the city like if you're in a city get out seriously and if you don't believe me you should look to new york because in new york people are leaving and police officers are attempting to retire like the, the the department has pretty much like ceased all applications for retirement right and they're already going to face budget cuts so it's just going to get worse like yikes man i keep thinking about New York now, and it's just not going to be the same. It's going to be very sad now going back to that city. So I just hope my family gets out of there because that's the only reason I would go to visit, uh, which I don't think they will. A lot of people, you keep you tell people to get out the city, and it, they don't understand why why you're saying that because they're they're just lost in their own world, right? But we've also seen. Um, police officers attempting to retire and also uh, housing sell-off like people putting their apartments and their residence up for sale and in a city like that it's going to be very expensive so not only is our, are people trying to leave the city and sell their uh, you know their houses and their apartments nobody's really going to want to go back in well because A the crime situation and also B 
it's really expensive to live in New York or just cities in general. So there's a very small pool of potential uh, people that can move in. And right now, nobody's going to want to move in. So you're just going to see for sale signs everywhere. And then, you know, because people aren't moving in, you know, they're, they're not going to buy the homes. The, the value is going to depreciate. So people not only are going to sell their homes, but they're going to lose the value of the home. So that's just going to further, further exacerbate this housing crisis that we're experiencing. So the people who are making the moves now to lead the city, you know, they're, they're the smart ones because they saw immediately uh, the way things were going. And of course, I'm out here trying to tell uh, my mother, for instance, to, to, to get away from the city. Like, I don't know, because she's looking for a home and I'm just like, get, get away. Do not stay. Don't be here. But of course, you know, people don't listen. You know, so what what do I know, right? I don't know anything. So do what you do what you want, really. So that's happening there. So New York possibly is collapsing and experiencing their own troubles there. It's it's sad to see because you lo I love that city for its own reasons, really. And then also Chicago. I mean, Chicago. You got Chirac and the South Side of Chicago. I don't know anything about the city locally. I was born there, so if that counts for anything, but I left as a baby, so I don't know the city at all. But they're also, like, from what I understand, like, they did have violent crime, like the worst violent crimes in the United States, really, gun violence, worse than Baghdad at one point. And then it kind of quieted down, but now it's back, the violence and just the, the death and everything. It's just crazy. The weekends especially, it's just sad. And then you see reports of like children getting shot, babies dying. It's just, people get caught in the violence. And it's not just about you attacking the enemy, but you have to be mindful of who who's around because there's innocent people everywhere. And a lot of these gangbangers, they don't care. They're just going to start shooting. They don't care. So there's no humanity there. So that's enough about the crime and you know just just the housing crisis in these cities and the collapse of these cities basically uh, and I do want to shift gears towards a issue that's still growing I don't see enough coverage on this and then when I do see it and when I do see it it's I wouldn't say bias but I guess it's just not hitting the right notes and, I, and I'm talking specifically about Portland Oregon and the unrest there so in Portland they've been experiencing riots and protests started because of the George Floyd incidents now it's just devolved to badness and unrest and it's uh it's not really an image most people would have expected to see by now but you know this is just a dress rehearsal for what's to come already we're seeing federal agents and military gear out in the streets uh they're you know abduct abducting people off the streets and unmarked vehicles a lot of these guys are not even 
that they don't even have their police badges or uh, any indication. So it's literally just like a soldier out in the street. And, you know, when I think about Portland as a city, not that I've visited, but Portland definitely is the stereotypical woke city. So, you know, before all this, even if I visited Portland, I probably would have had a sour taste in my mouth after like maybe the first 48 hours just living with that, being around it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I mean to say, but it certainly strikes me as a city, like a liberal hippy dippy city with these yuppies and, you know, which is all fun and good because I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But on this specific issue now, you have Portland being like just Mad Max level riots and like it's, well, I shouldn't say Mad Max, but like it's slowly, if, if this continues, if these riots and this protest and these demonstrations continue, the city is going to turn into a jungle, basically. I mean, there's like graffiti and, you know, fences, barricades trash everywhere people on the streets and you know it would be one thing if like they were actually like trying to bring about something but i don't know what they're trying to do i don't know what they're attempting to do i don't know what their demands are right apart from defunding the police social justice you know justice for george floyd but they just kept writing and protesting and breaking shit, burning trash and all this stuff. And so at a certain point, it's just like, okay, what are we doing here? Because it really just seems like now that y'all just want to break shit and burn shit. And, you know, if y'all want to do that, that's fine. I'm not going to be a part of it and I'm not going to condone it. Because it's another thing to be out in the streets and, you know, chanting and singing and making music and all that stuff. But this is a whole nother level. And if you were out in the streets for this, it should be for like a real reason, which I feel like a lot of these kids are jumping the gun, right? Because this isn't a real reason to riot. <laughs> this is just you wanting to break shit, right? I don't know. And what's been also reported is that they were uh, attempting to burn down a federal courthouse, which is why these agents and these uh, basically marshals, FBI agents why they are now taking it to the streets and this is only escalating and the portland police have are starting to back down so now the feds are stepping up to bring order back and of course donald trump president trump is going to continue to assert his dominance in the streets which is interesting they didn't do that with chaz i mean chaz has failed completely but that was also because they just decided to step back from it and it was just that one localized area. It wasn't the whole city, right? Not that I, not that this is the whole city of Portland, but it's still like the same principle of protesters taking control of an area and, you know, just property damage and, all, and the like, which I don't know. I, I don't know now, you know, because it, it's one thing to like joke about it to poke fun at it but i wouldn't actually do it physically do it right so to see it play out and to see the 
robotic nature of it because it, it's like it, it's basically chimpanzees like going ape shit. That's what what you can think of it. Like there's, there's just no it makes no sense. It's just they want to break windows and burn shit, right? So you know, I, now I'm being heavy on the protesters and the people out in the streets, but also I have to look at the legal ramifications and not even the legal ramifications, just the optics of federal agents out in the streets because they're not soldiers there are you know marshals there are law enforcement but just to see like the equipment they got the camouflage just the optics of it it's disturbing it's i i mean it's not an image any of us would want to see you know if somebody showed this like say hey this is portland in 2020 <laughs> like whoa if you showed that to us a year ago not even a year ago just like at the beginning of the year, just like, hey, by July, there's going to be troops out in the streets. Like, whoa, what? Which, you know, is going to be a common sight now. We're going to see federal agents patrolling the streets. And it's, yeah, you just get used to it, right? Like, I'm reminded of when I went to New York last time, going in the, the World Trade Center area, in the mall there, and just seeing soldiers with like m16s and they're just relaxing and you know of course you're supposed to have a sense of security but really that just makes me more tensed up like okay this is like okay we're like there are physically soldiers out and about like i don't know like i don't know it just makes me nervous right so seeing that happening on american streets just soldiers patrolling not even real soldiers but they mean like at the very they just look like it there might as well just be one right so there's that so i want, I want to circle back with portland oregon so this is from usa today so quote in portland oregon police declared a gathering saturday night a riot after hundreds of demonstrators who have been protesting in the city since the death of george floyd broke into a building and set it ablaze and started dumpster fires the protesters broke into the Portland Police Association at around 10.45 p.m. Saturday. Police said an ignited, uh, sorry. The protesters broke into the Portland Police Association at around 10.45 p.m. Saturday, police said, and ignited a fire inside that prompted police to declare the event a riot, quote, due to the violent conduct of the large group creating a grave risk of public alarm, end quote, the fire inside the Portland Police Association building was put out a short time later. Quote, as the, the, as the crowd was dispersed, several people in the crowd were arrested and officers were able to extinguish the fire. End quote. Portland Police said Sunday in a statement, quote, Portland Police did not use any uh, CS gas or tear gas, a commonly used term for tear gas. So they said that they didn't use tear gas. Of course, there's footage saying otherwise. And this is just a developing situation. We're going to have to see, really. And now there's talk of Trump deploying more troops to other cities, such as New York, Chicago. I mean, what we're seeing right now is a dress rehearsal for, this, for what's to come throughout the whole country, especially around November. We're get used to seeing troops out in the open come November. It's just so interesting to see, like, the response and just the escalation, right? Like, I remember in 2016, 
there was, and I was in San Antonio at the time, and there was a pretty heavy like ROTC presence there. They got military bases in the city, so there's pretty pretty heavy with ROTC, and I was noticing this. So when I went in, they were you know regular camouflage, desert camo for say Afghanistan or Iraq, right? And then slowly, as November rolled around, November 2016, the soldiers or the the students, I mean the cadets, they switched out from desert camo to more uh, woodland camo, camouflage that was more, that was more linked to the local area, because it wasn't a desert, it was like a hill country, you know, kind of foresty region, so I mean, like, I didn't know what to think of that at first, just like, oh, well, they changed their camouflage, but I'm looking back on this now, like, wait, they did that, they did that for a reason, like, they didn't just, like, they wouldn't have done that unless it was for a, a real reason, and then, especially in election year. So that's just a little anecdote that I want to bring up. But it just goes to show how like, you know, you see this happening in Portland and then you realize that this is gonna happen everywhere soon enough. Federal troops, federal agents out in the streets. I mean, what can you do, right? And as I said about Trump deploying troops into Chicago, right? Uh, I'm reading this from the Chicago Tribune, quote, Chicago may see an influx of federal agents as soon as this week as President Donald Trump readies to make good on uh, repeated pledges he would try to tamp down violence here, a move that would come amid growing controversy nationally about federal force being used in American cities. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security, for example, is crafting plans to deploy about 150 federal agents to the city this week. The, the Chicago Tribune has learned. So, yeah, I mean, they've also been experiencing protests in Chicago, and they're trying to respond to the violence. Of course, the violence, as I, as I perceive it, is gang violence, not protesters out in the streets. But, of course, you know, we're just going to have to see what happens there. These troops or these agents certainly are not going to deploy themselves into the south side <laughs> but we're gonna have to see right because i mean i i have no doubt there are areas in chicago where police just don't go in so there's that so considering the national unrest that we're seeing right now in georgia or i'm sorry in the national unrest that we're seeing right now in all these other areas we're also seeing states like Utah and Georgia declaring states of emergency over the last week or so. Uh, so we'll talk about Utah real quick. So the quote, this is from CNN, quote, the governor of Utah has declared a state of emergency in response to protests in Salt Lake City. The protests began hours after the Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake County District Attorney announced that the fatal police shooting of Bernardo Palacios Carbajal in May was justified. Protesters gathered outside the district attorney's office and damaged and caused damage to the building Thursday evening, police said. Police said earlier that a group of protesters were marching on 500 South, disrupting traffic in the downtown area. Yeah, so this was in response to what protesters feel was an unjust ruling, and it just escalated from there. 
I haven't really heard too much about the situation there, but there was, uh, I believe, another incident where a shooting, um, a shooting, I believe in Porvo or something like that, and that just escalated tensions there. So we're just gonna have to see, right? We're really gonna have to see. But that's in Utah. I don't know too much about other protests or riots. I don't think there's riots, but there's still people causing damage. Um, and also in Georgia as well. Georgia has experienced, or I would say has experienced, they've, they've just had violence and the governor has declared a state of emergency there as well. So, quote, reading from NPR, quote, the governor, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is activating up to a thousand National Guard troops after a spat of shootings and protests in Atlanta over the weekend. Five people died, including an eight-year-old girl, and at least 30 people were injured. So they're deploying troops there. The Republican governor issued an executive order Monday that would send National Guard to protect the state capitol, the governor's mansion, and the Department of Public Safety's headquarter, where close to 100 demonstrators set fire to part of the building early Sunday morning. Oh, wow. In, a, in the order, Kemp slammed Atlanta officials who have failed to quell ongoing violence over an especially turbulent few months that have seen the resignation of the police chief, increased sickouts of officers, and two officers charged in the connection with the killing of a black man. So, this is, I mean, Georgia has been on my radar for, like, uh, racial unrest. It's... I don't know, there's just weird, there's just weird stuff going on in Georgia lately. Um, yeah, I mean, we have this unrest, COVID unrest, lockdown, and then the George Floyd protests. But we also had the Ahmad Arbery shooting that occurred. And the other, um, I can't believe I forgot his name. Um, but there, the shooting with the uh, black man uh, at the Wendy's. I can't believe that just slipped my mind. Which... You know, they released the footage from that shooting and, you know, the whole thing was that they pulled, they pulled him over or they didn't even pull him over. They just, they, they saw his car parked, turned on, he was sleeping inside. And as they were questioning him, they realized that he was drunk. So they were going to book him from DUI um, and he fought them off. I mean, like they were having a normal conversation, reading from, watching the, uh, the body cam footage, they're having a normal conversation, and then as they're putting the cuffs on him, he started fighting, he grabbed their taser, fired it, and, you know, at that point, it's just like, you know, he, he took the guy's weapon, he shot at him, or he was attempting to run away, who knows, I mean, in that moment, like, because you know, I can talk about what a cop should do, but that those are moments where I'm just like, really, I don't know what I would do. Like, I probably, if he took my taser, I probably would have shot him also. Like, I don't know. Um, which, I mean, a lot of people don't, don't want to hear that. Like, that's a bad thing to hear, but, like, that's just like, look, there's a certain point where the cop is being an asshole, and there's another, there's another certain point where there's just a person who didn't want to get arrested and decided to fight. Which, at that point, like, that's on them. And it's unfortunate that he got shot. But that's just what's going to happen if you fight a cop and take his taser. He's going to shoot you. 
that's just what's going to happen. I'm sorry. And it's also interesting because they're now they're going to charge the cop who shot him uh, with felony or as a felony, right? And the whole argument was just like, oh, he was running away and he didn't have a deadly weapon. But there was another case not too long before that where they did deem tasers as a deadly weapon. So technically speaking, the man whose name still escapes me, uh, who was shot, assaulted the officer with a deadly weapon, which is within the officer's right to eliminate that threat. Now, you know, he couldn't do it non-lethally because his non-lethal means was already taken from him. But, you know, that we can talk about that all night, really, or all day. So, that happened there. And, of course, on social media, people are, just want this guy's head, this cop's head. I also read somewhere that this cop's uh, stepmother was fired from her job for defending her stepson. So that happened also. I mean, people, I don't know. This is like, which shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't mean, you know, okay, you know, just because somebody's relative did something wrong or, you know, not even they did something wrong. They just did something that didn't. Okay, just because somebody did something wrong or a relative did something wrong doesn't mean that they should be punished, right? And we still have due process. So, I mean, they're technically innocent under the eyes of the law. Um, yeah, it's just really telling. Which I can see now why people are becoming defensive of these police families. Because now they especially feel like they have a target on their back. Which... I wouldn't go to somebody whose dad is a cop and just say, your dad's a piece of shit, you know that? I wouldn't do that. Again, my criticism is just the institution and the qualifications that it takes, right? You know, just training. That's the main thing is training. So, there's a, there's a lot of things, you know. So, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about removing the police, although I do think they should be downsized to a degree. But it's also just policing in general, right? The laws that we have in place, the drug war. It's 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 more than just defunding the police. It's there's more to it, right? Anyway, so that's what's happening there in Georgia and in Utah, and I believe there's other states that have declared state of emergency. Who knows at this rate? The whole country is in a state of emergency practically. We're gonna have to see. Again, we just. We, it just has to play out. That's really what it is. It just has to play out. But another interesting thing that happened in Georgia, where I was talking about racial unrest, is um, around July 4th, Independence Day, there was a demonstration of a black militia called the Not Fucking Around uh, Coalition. So that's a good name I like. Uh, but yeah, they went to Stone Mountain, which is Stone Mountain Park, which is site of the site of the largest Confederate memorial, which is basically a carving on this mountainside. So, I mean, you know, say what you want about the Confederacy. It's a cool monument. I mean, they carved it. It's their own little Mount Rushmore. Not, not to say that that's cool. It's just like, you know, you there's a certain level of respect that I can have towards a craftsman craftsmanship, right? 
So they, I mean, they carved this depiction on the side of a stone mountain. And, you know, at, at this rate, when I'm seeing, you know, Confederate monuments and, and such, like, it's one thing to remember, like, the Confederacy and what it stood for. It's another thing if you're trying to remember the people who were lost, which I think they need to do a better job explaining. But I, I also feel that some most people are going to be, you know, they're, they're, they're really sensitive about it. Like, they don't want you to remember anything about the Confederacy. Like, there's some folks that will go that far. So, yeah. So what happened with this demonstration was about a thousand heavily armed militiamen, black militiamen, marched through the streets of this park, basically, like, calling out white nationalists and the KKK, whoever, whomever, uh, to, like, step up. Like, you know, like, we're, we're here. You know, we're ready for you. You know, we're not taking this shit anymore. And right in front of their, like, you know, their monument, right? And, of course, they're also talking about removing it and, you know, just all, all sorts of things, which is not going to happen. They're not going to remove that. Like, you, you're just going to have to blow up the whole mountain or at least, like, a good chunk of it. But, you know, um, on one hand, I do like you know, them asserting themselves and saying, like, we're not taking this anymore. On the other hand, I just, I don't like seeing people with guns in the streets. So it doesn't matter what you represent. I just, I don't necessarily like it. But, you know, in this instance, this is not necessarily a threat. It's more like, you know, asserting their dominance, right? And I mean, it's it's still like, it's cool in some way. Like, fuck yeah, like, you know, you know, black people can have guns too. Latinos can get guns too. Anybody can get a gun in this country, which I used to think was a bad thing. And now I've, you know, learned to embrace it, you know. But you're, you're not going to see me marching out in the streets like that. I'm not going to bring a weapon out like that, you know. It's not, it's not in my nature because I don't like intimidating people. And in a way, this is more for intimidation than just like a show of force, right? So... Uh, reading this from The Root, right? So, quote, Newsweek reports that the massive yet peaceful march was organized by the Not Fucking Around Coalition, NFAC, a group whose initial goal was to have a formation of our militia in Stone Mountain to send a message that as long as you're abolishing all these statues across the country, what about this one? According to the group founder, Grandmaster J. Uh, reading on... It was all black, Grandmaster Jay told Newsweek. There were no brown people, no white people. Everyone was black. I am not a protester. I am the commanding general of my militia. We were swearing in new members. Hmm. So he calls himself a general. Okay. Uh, in one video posted to Twitter, one of the militia members can be heard challenging white nationalists to come out of hiding, effectively changing the group's name to the Fuck around and find out coalition or the I'm a whoop me a racist ass today organization. I don't see no white militia or quote. I don't see no white militia. The boogie boys, the three percenters and all the rest of these scared ass rednecks. We here. Where the fuck you at? We're in your house. He said. Yeah. So these guys are stepping up. I mean, you know, more power to y'all. 
I'm just I just find that interesting that the guy said, I'm not a protester, I'm the commanding general of my militia. We were swarming in new members. Which hmm. Are you saying you're a warlord or something? Which a lot of these guys like when there's a power vacuum, they will certainly step up. <laughs> so Oh. Now I'm reading that. It's uh I don't know. Like it's one thing to have a militia, it's another thing to try to like make it more like an advocacy group, you know? Cause when you have actual like guys in the street with military gear in a threatening manner, basically, because you know, you might think that you're doing it for the right reasons, but you know, regular white folks are gonna see that like what? Fox News certainly isn't gonna depict it in a in a promising light, so who knows, really? Who knows? But that's just what's happening there. And I feel like this is just a interesting development on what could lead to not necessarily, you know, okay, it could lead to civil war. But my point is that it's like these gangs and militias and it's sectarian violence, right? So you're just going to have different groups you know, just wandering around, attempting to assert themselves, and whichever ones can take control of cities and areas will eventually grow from there, right? So it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. It's very much going to be like the Northern Ireland Troubles, right? So just like certain parts of the city would just be completely blocked off because like, oh, well, this is the... No, I mean, like a Chaz situation, right? But a Chaz autonomous zone in almost every city where, like, there's no law. There's no law except for the law of the gang or community leaders, right? So, there's that. So, the, yeah, we had that demonstration with Stone Mountain. Nothing really else has come out of it. But it was just a interesting development, which most certainly helped... Uh, with this state of emergency order in Georgia. In fact, these two articles came out at the same time. Damn. Yeah, this NPR article for the Georgia governor uh, declaring emergency and also for the armed black militia. Both came out July 6th. So, yeah. Like, almost a couple hours apart. So, that's cool. So, that's happening in Georgia. So, we've talked about you know, good length about domestic issues and international issues, about the economic situation and not so promising signs for the housing market and crime. So with that being said, because I mean, this is Collapse Talk, we are going to shift more towards the natural events and the natural world, nature, uh, and how it's dealing with climate change, the main thing, climate change. Which, spoiler alert, it's not doing so hot. Well, the planet's going to be hot, but not the health of the ecosystem. So, we're in the midst of our summer. And given July is one of the hotter months that we experience, particularly in Texas, uh, it's more heat-related, right? And I do want to talk about a heat wave that came through the last week or so, which was bad. Like, I've never, well, I shouldn't say I've never experienced the heat, but anytime I experience that level of heat, 
it just it puts me in this like I don't know. I feel like this wave of emotions, just like, how, like, how the fuck are we gonna survive this? Because I'm already, ha- I'm already struggling with like the heat, right? And now I do a lot of delivery, and it sucked because you know people were ordering lunch, and I couldn't stay out as long as I wanted to because it was just too hot. And there's only there's a certain point where your car air conditioning can't even make up for it. So. You know, and I'm out and about sweating my ass off and trying to go into public spaces and people are looking at me like, what the fuck? Like, so, and that was like the last two weeks or so where we had a heat wave and that was bad. Like, having to stay inside and try to stay cool. But, you know, it's just moments like this where I am thankful of air conditioning, but then my mind wanders into the energy consumption behind it. So it's just like, fuck, this is not... How 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 are we gonna do it? I don't know, but essentially, like a heat dome moved over the south, southern, southwestern region, and places like Arizona, Texas get very hot. Uh, Death Valley almost had like like the surface temperature was like 120. Or it was, I mean, they call it Death Valley for a reason, right? But man, like that heat was something else, and it's gonna keep going. Like it's gonna continue. And I'm in an area where it's not as humid, so it's dry heat, which I can live with. Because humidity is just, it's its the worst thing to like step outside your door. Not even like to go out, just to grab something. And already you're like feeling sticky. Just for like, not even t- like not even five minutes, you're outside and already you're sweaty and sticky. And you're just like, damn, man, really? And I gotta change my shirt out? Like, it's, yeah. It's something else, really. And you can't do any physical work. Uh, you know, you can't. I, I like, I'm trying to run more. But, like, I don't. I need to start doing it in the mornings. Because by the time 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock rolls around, it gets too hot to even do that to go for a run. So, yeah. It's, um, that's just the way, that's just where we're at right now. But, you know, we have the heat here in Texas. But Texas is just hot in general. I want to talk about heat in the Arctic because they're experiencing record levels of heat, which has to do mainly because they get longer hours of sunlight. So, you know, the more the North Pole basically has sunlight 24 hours a day. So that's obviously going to make it warmer, more on average than other parts of the, the planet during the summertime, which affects the temperature of the seawater there, it affects the health of the ice and ice melting, and yeah, it's, I mean, we can already see the charts already, so like, ice levels are at their lowest, again, um, it's also like the margin, so like the margin keeps increasing, so like, you see like, okay, it's it's slightly lower, slightly lower, slightly lower, and then for 2020, that margin just grew, I can't give you a specific on that, but you just watch the charts and it just, the, the gap from la- from the year before keeps growing, which means that it's accelerating, it's exponential. And um, the heat, you know, in Siberia, in that Arctic region, it is hot. Like, I mean, they're experiencing like wildfires already, 
but there are, you know, it's just record levels of heat, which again, you know, miraculously every year just somehow gets warmer than the last. I wonder what that's about. I have no, I have no clue, really. But yeah, it's just, you know, heat just gonna get hot and keep getting hotter. And considering the other effects that it has on, say, ocean temperatures, so the Arctic is vital for ocean current movements and just weather events in general because you know we have the equator where we have warm water and then at the poles it's cooler and so that affect those currents especially like the gulf stream they transport warm water into those areas and then somehow that cooler water also sinks so that water is also coming back from the arctic into the equator it's like a conveyor belt, right? So that's starting to change. That is, you know, those current movements and the ocean temperatures are starting to be affected, not just from you know, the, the, the sea ice receding, but just the, the heat in general. Not to mention the ocean acidification and everything that comes with that. So really the, the health of our oceans is really the best indicator for the health of the planet and it doesn't look good reading this also from NBC it's showing reports that uh, earth earth's coral reefs will, will could be gone by 2100 so climate change and ocean acidification warming waters are bleaching uh, coral reefs I mean the Great Barrier Reef is essentially dead that's like one of the few areas that I wanted to visit and it's dead now like okay it's dead can't go can't see it now well you can see the the remains of it but it's just like it's, it's gonna be a wasteland essentially um, so reading uh, from NBC quote the bleat outlook forecasts that warming oceans and rising seas could have a devastating impact on ocean ecosystems suggesting that efforts to restore dying corals will likely encounter difficulties as global warming continues to wipe out habitats that could once support healthy reef systems. By 2100, it's looking quite grim. Renee Setter, a, a biogeographer at the University of Hawaii at Manau, excuse me, said in a statement, she presented her findings at the annual Ocean Sciences meeting, which is being held through Friday in, Saturday, in San Diego. So, yeah, a lot of these, uh, you know, marine biologists and just biologists in general there it doesn't look pretty especially for the coral reefs and uh, i mean what else can you do i mean what else can you say except just pointing out that things are falling apart of course they are making efforts to restore it they have these coral farms and uh, they're attempting to like i guess genetically modify the, these corals so that they can survive in warmer environments so there's a lot that they can do but it's just, it requires funding which you don't hear Donald Trump talking about coral reefs and it's going to require a lot of energy a lot of effort and that's the thing I mean with these projects these scientific projects they don't yield a profit so there's no investment. It has to be through a nonprofit, through donations. But this is like, they need state level assistance. Like, this has to be 
some this should be a priority, right? Places like Australia, like this should be like one of their biggest projects right now. But you know who who wants to take care of the environment, right? So that's happening there. So we got the heat and ocean acidification, and just ecosystem collapse. You're speaking also of corals and you know the heat. I'm also reading about you know these trends continue. The most trees aren't also going to survive the heat. So I mean, you're going to see a lot of areas start to die off and wither. You know, I was reading about Texas, especially it's going to become more dry in some areas, especially out west. So it's just a matter of when, right? Like the the, the heat that we're experiencing here in the United States and circling back to that heat dome I was talking about, it's uh, it's showing a similar pattern to heat waves that came about before the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, a new Dust Bowl, new Mad Max situation. So it's going to be something to look forward to. Well, I mean, not to look forward to, just to like pay attention. Like, yeah. So that's the coral reefs out there. They're all dying. But what are you going to do, right? So moving onward. I want to talk about some weather events that occurred. Well, not necessarily weather events, but just flooding and raining that's been occurring in Asia, uh, specifically right now with Bangladesh. Now, Bangladesh, I don't know if I've talked about them before, but they have been uh, specifically like research as an area for sea level anomalies, for massive flooding, monsoons, and, and all that. And this is just an area that's been used to it, right? This is just what they've had to live with. But of course, now with accelerating climate change, it's going to keep getting worse. I mean, like, soon enough, like, this, it's going to be inhospitable. Like, you can't live there because the flooding is too much. They can't stay there. So, uh, reading from Al Jazeera, rain swollen rivers in Bangladesh have broken through several embankments, submerging dozens of villages destroying tens of thousands of homes and displacing nearly 200,000 people, officials in an aid group said. More than 4 million people are at risk of food insecurity and disease because of the flooding in Bangladesh, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies said in a statement on Friday. So, yeah, their, their, their land is getting flooded, record monsoons, record flooding, which also affects their crop fields so of course they have food insecurities and now people they can't go back to their homes i mean they've had uh, landslides and flooding so right now the death toll stands at about 30 as of thursday and it's going to continue i mean this is just they're they're no stranger to this this is still a part of the world where I mean, they have, Bangladesh is just a land of rivers, really. It's like a, a giant river delta, the whole country. So when they get flooded out, it's it's pretty, pretty severe. And then not to mention, because they're low-lying, they're also getting sea level rise. So just, yeah, they're, they're just losing, right? So just rafts and boats. It's uh, pretty severe, but it's not something that most people would, are going to hear about right now because 
you know, oh, Bangladesh, all right, whatever. Yeah. But this is not just exclusive to Bangladesh. Other regions in the area have experienced flooding and people have died. Uh, saying here, right in Nepal, the death toll has risen to 78, while 46 were killed in Pakistan. So, yeah, they're, they're also experiencing flooding in those areas as well. So it's not just Bangladesh. But Bangladesh is just... It's an interesting case study on the effects of sea level rise, as well as, you know, climate change and uh, record flooding and record rain, right? But this is one of those areas that is going to experience, uh, well, one of the first regions in the planet that's going to have climate refugees and people fleeing because they can't live there. It's inhospitable. So that's happening there. Also speaking about flooding in Asia, uh, circling back with the flooding that I, that I mentioned about in Hong Kong, or I'm sorry, that I mentioned in China. So they're continuing with their efforts to control the Three Gorges Dam. And still at the same time, there's record levels of flooding and raining. It's... Uh, it could seriously like deteriorate. I mean, this is this has a potential to affect millions. In fact, they're saying about 40 million people affected, which is crazy. I mean, this is China, so they're pretty densely populated. But you know, it just shows how one river can affect, or I, w I shouldn't say one river, but like it just shows the effect that the weather has and the climate has for people's lives. I think I read somewhere that. The Yangtze River was 50 feet above the the line, or it, it just it rose by 50 feet, so it killed at least like 14 people or so. Again, it's crazy. I I only saw like there's not much footage that you can get out of China, so when you do see it, it's like either uh, wild or it's kind of like low quality or so. But I did mention about seeing a video footage of just. The, the water was just like coming out from like the mountainside, like a, a, a flash flood essentially. And then it was just washing away this town to the point where like people who were hanging on to telephone poles and then the poles were falling. So that's like, that's how bad it was getting. And I mean, it can get worse. So we'll have to see what happens there. But as far as I know, the Three Gorges Dam hasn't collapsed yet, but it's still like they're if it does, it has the potential to kill thousands. So it's, yeah, it's it's still um, a situation to keep an eye on. Nothing really weird has happened just yet, but that's happening there. So moving onward and wrapping up really with just natural events and such, uh, talking about a, or I mean, it's the summertime. So it's the fire season, and this fire season is going to be pretty wild. Not, you know, just to make predictions. It's, uh, I mean, already it's been pretty hot. Uh, so currently right now in California, north, northeastern, northeastern California, they have the hog fire that's burning. And 
Right now it's burned up to 8,000 acres. And according to CAL FIRE, it is 5% contained as of Tuesday morning. The agency previously estimated the fire size to be more than 12,000 acres, but was revised due to improved mapping. Okay, so, and again, this is uh, California. They, they get pretty intense fires. So really, it's just a thing that we have to keep an eye on for the moment. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we had the campfire and all those different fires in the past. So, really, we're just going to have to see what unfolds. But, it's cert like, soon enough, we're going to see, like, these firestorms, like, engulf entire cities. And, I mean, they've gotten pretty close to L.A. before. So, it's only a matter of time before something breaks out in that city. Yeah, so that's the hog fire right now. They also saw like fire tornadoes, especially with this one. So, yeah, this is a right now. I mean, I guess it's still early on, but this is just something that we're gonna have to circle back on. So, I was also reading somewhere that like because of this coronavirus outbreak, that that California can't use their prisoners. As much as before which was basically just another way of saying slave labor um, so I mean that's just happening there yeah so in its Tuesday morning update Cal Fire said the fire remained active overnight due to wind shifts low fuel moisture and thunderstorms an increase in temperature and low humidity could support fire growth officials warned a red flag warning has been issued for the area so no structures have been destroyed, but 170 structures are threatened. No injuries have been reported. So if anything, this is probably just in like a remote area, which is a good thing. But I mean, it's only, you know, the, these, these fires, they carry embers, you know, or the wind carries an ember. So it can go for miles and then land somewhere and start another fire. Yeah. Fire tornadoes have occurred in previous California wildfires during the car fire that tore through Redding in 2018, the National Weather Service determined that a fire whirl packed winds topping 143 miles per hour, a wind speed equivalent to an, to an EF3 tornado on the Fujita scale. Yikes. So, I mean, these fire tornadoes are no joke. No joke at all. So, there's that in California. And also in Arizona, they had a bushfire which is said to be their fifth largest fire to date in record. Uh, but this, this occurred more in June, which I didn't really cover before, but I mean, they're probably going to keep experiencing stuff like this. And so there's like a map that you can see the fire damage and then they superimpose it on top of Phoenix. So the, the, the hog fire burnt up to 174,000 acres the fifth largest in Arizona history. If you've seen, like, yeah, the, the map, and I'm, I'm using a tweet from NWS Phoenix. So they they took a map of the fire damage and then they put it over the city. And it's a pretty good chunk of the city. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty big. So that's what they had to deal with there. I mean, like, you could see the smoke from space. That's how bad it was. But this is more around like June, June time, which there probably is a fire going on right now. Who knows? So there's that. So 
that's what's unfolding right there. And for the most part, that's what I wanted to touch upon with my segments. You know, so a lot has unfolded and we're just going to have to see what happens next episode. But before I wrap up, I do want to discuss um, just just a fun thing that I've been doing lately. A game that I've been playing quite a bit, actually. It's, um, you know, if I'm going to bring up some other form of entertainment or media, it's going to be apocalyptic related. Um, so I like playing strategy games and I like playing games like Total War and real time strategies, uh, Age of Empires, the like. And there's a game that came out that's been open, been in open beta for some time. And that came out fully released last year. And it's, uh, the a game that's very dear to my heart. It's called Kenshi. And this game is, uh, easily like one of the most under I wouldn't say underrated it's it's an independent game and it's one of those games that is under people's radar but it's so well made and so well developed it's easily like the best thing like ever created or I wouldn't say the best thing ever created but it stands up as like one of the best games that I've ever played and I've sunk in hours already it's the best way that I can describe it is like a sandbox uh, RTS role-playing game. So the idea is that you're put in this world, you create your character, you're put in this world, and you're, you start off weak, starving, like withered and malnourished, and you have to survive. And that's the goal of the game, survive and do what you want to do. So it's nice. It's one of those games where it's a well-crafted world uh, with deep lore. I mean, there's some stuff that I haven't uncovered yet. Deep lore, excellent writing, excellent uh, storytelling, really, and just the parallels. It's supposed to be more of a allegory on... I don't know if allegory is the right word, but it's supposed to be like a study on human survival in apocalyptic situation. And you know, just surviving. So, you know, now I've kind of like talked about it. You know, I can talk about it all I want, but like you really have to play it because it's interesting. It's like, it's like Eastern Asian influences, but it's also sci-fi. There's like different races. Um, it's on an alien planet. So yeah, there's that sci-fi element there. There's still humans, but there's like other creatures like the Shek, which are like, these warriors with like uh, like bone plating, basically. They have bone armor. Um, and then you have uh, robots called skeletons is what they're called. And even among the human factions, I mean, there's different factions. So there's, you know, there's a faction called the Holy Nation, which are like these fundamentalists and they are, they're racists. So they attack anybody who's not a human and they want to control women so you know you have these different factions who have each have their own history and their own inspirations and their own goals essentially and in this world everybody in their own way is evil everybody like 
is selfish and greedy and looking for their own, looking for themselves, looking out. I mean, I can explain this all I want, but I'm not doing it justice. So I just highly recommend it. And I've been thinking about starting a playthrough just so y'all can see it. You know, the problem with that is I have to actually find the right recording program and whether my computer can run it and hopefully not crash the game. So that's, those are some kinks that I'm going to have to work out because I would certainly like to do a playthrough and show y'all how I play the game and hopefully get more people interested in it because I can't recommend it enough because it requires a lot of thinking. It's very strategic and tactical and that's what I like about it. It's certainly one of those games that like teaches you how to organize logistics and the supply chains and production. I mean, you could literally, like, you can either play as, like, a lone wandering swordsman, or you can play as a trader, or mercenary, bounty hunter. You can basically start your own uh, fortress, build a fortress in the middle of nowhere, and deal with bandits in that way. So, there's a lot you can do, and there's no rules, really. You just do what you want, so it's a lot of fun there. I mean, the game that I'm playing right now, and I have all these mods in it, so, like, I have, like, mods that allow you to recruit, like, up to 200 people. There's also a zombie apocalypse mod that I've been playing with, so it's fun to, like, build the fortress and then have zombies, like, wander around. So it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful game. I'm not doing the best job explaining it, but I highly recommend at least looking on YouTube about it because it's one of those games that are like under the radar but if you play it like you're in it <laughs> i mean it's like almost like rim, rim world in that sense you know because it has a small player base but those players are high, super dedicated to it so it's nice to be a part of a community in that sense where it's not on everybody's radar so in that sense it's not highly commercialized and easily palatable for children or such it certainly doesn't hold your hand this game so you definitely have to figure stuff on your own so that's kenshi and hopefully in time i'll get a playthrough started on it because i, I would like to to do that and also i've just been thinking about how i can expand my content because i know i talk about ha having a patreon but then of course with a patreon you actually have to offer something in return so that would be a good start and I'm, of course, I'm just talking about it, but I should just do it, which I'm trying to do. I'm trying to figure out the the proper uh, software and the proper, you know, the, the, all the stuff that I need in order to finish that and accomplish that. And also, I've been thinking about doing like movie reviews or just reviews of different shows. Like I was, I just finished watching uh, The Sopranos. Like I binged that all six seasons, which is a great show. Great show, really. So, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to do a collapse commentary on those type of shows or movies. So it might not even be an apocalyptic show, but more so just, you know, a contemporary show and how I can connect the dots between the themes that are explored there and how they tie in with the collapse in general, because everything is connected, really. So... Yeah, those are just thoughts. 
really like I, I can sit here and talk about it all I want. I just actually have to do it. So in time, I'll figure that out. And in time, I'll release that when I when I have it. But it's just something for y'all to. to it, it's, it's for y'all, really, because I really want to create content and not necessarily prove myself, but just to like, you know, create something really. It's just, it's nice to like put, it's nice to create something and release it out in the world and seeing how people respond to it, which some people have been positive about it. Some people have been negative. For the most part, some people just don't, they're, they don't say anything. So it's kind of like, I don't know, you know, I wish some of these, um, these podcast apps could tell me, you know, who liked it or who didn't, but you know, it's just really a matter of the numbers and the recognition and traffic and such. So there's that. So again, recommendation for, for gaming, Kenshi, it's on Steam. Apart from that, you can find my Patreon, Collapse Talk, my Twitter, at Collapse Talk Pod, uh, my email, personal business email, Collapse Talk Pod at Outlook.com. And yeah, so that's this episode. And hopefully y'all are taking care of yourselves and staying healthy and just keeping your head up. You know, we're all going to get through this. So thank you for tuning in. Stay safe and have a wonderful week.